Welcome to Radio, a podcast by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs, hosted by the um, Entrepreneurs Organization in South Africa. I am your host, Ross Drakes, and uh, here in spirit is my co-host, Rich Mulholland, who's probably off somewhere in the world speaking to an audience of thousands. Our guest today is a, a, a wonderful human being who also happens to be the president-elect-elect of EO Johannesburg, um, Anthony Winnell, and he describes himself as an entrepreneur and a conservationist. Welcome, Anthony. Thank you very much, hey, Ross. Nice um, to be here. Yeah. So, so our, our opening question is the same for everyone. Give us your elevator pitch. Um, my elevator pitch. Um, well, effectively, um, after exiting my, my, my main business three years ago, I've been spending my time devoting it to really finding my purpose. And um, one of those, the big projects I'm currently working on is a, is a conservation um, project, where, um, which, which is exciting for me. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a treehouse kind of project, which um, gives a lot of guys employment out there. And I'm really looking forward to this thing kicking off, but there's a lot of work to do to get it going. And the other things I'm working on, I have a bit of a student accommodation portfolio, which I've built up over the years, and a commercial property, which I look after as well in Midrand. I'm trying to put some kind of... Um, offices together there where guys can rent um, short-stay offices and that. So that's um, a project I'm also working on. Okay. So if, if, you, if you need an office, in a short-stay office in Midrand, please write me. <laughs> awesome. And, and I know you've achieved a hell of a lot in your entrepreneurial career. Uh, can you give us just a little bit of a, a, a journey of how you ended up here, um, you know, working, working in conservation? Like, how did, you, how did you get there? Where did you start? <laughs> So, so my, my conservation kind of side of my, my life started in about 2004, where I, I got invited to, um, to go to an AGM of the Endangered Wildlife Trust, which is one of South Africa's biggest environmental NGOs. And well, next year I knew I was on the board and I was on the audit committee and um, I got very, very involved with the EWT. Um, last year I actually got asked to be deputy chairman, so I'm currently deputy chair of the Endangered Wildlife Trust. But there's quite a nice story in, the, in my EWT journey as well, where um, about two years ago I bid on one of the events for, on an auction. They had a, a five-day um, in the field with... Um, with the wild dog team in Kruger and I bid on it and yeah well I spent a bit of money and, and got this experience and I took my daughter of um, 12 to go and um, track wild dog for five days in Kruger. Oh, wow. It was the most amazing experience. The first two days were, were rough, we found no wild dogs. But on day three um, we were looking for a specific wild dog which um, had a snare around its neck. And it had been spotted about a month and a half before with a snare, but hadn't been spotted for a while. And coincidentally, a tourist had spotted this um, wild dog with a snare. And we managed to um, get close to it with the state vet. And we darted this dog. And um, what, what this for me was, it was a total turnaround as to my kind of thoughts about nature and the environment. Because what had caused that snare to be on that dog? And the hurt that that dog was feeling and, and why was this happening? And I think, you know, my realization as to the socioeconomic issues that are happening around Kruger and those different areas, really, uh, this struck a huge note with me. And, and, and that's where I've changed my feelings regarding the environment and things that need to be done. And we've got a lot of work to do to, to sort out the socioeconomic stuff around places like Kruger and various parks. And um, my new project I'm working on hopefully can devote a lot of um, 
skill in that area and help people earn money and, and, and alleviate a bit of that socioeconomic problem. Okay, can you tell us a little bit about that project? Um, it, it's quite hush-hush at the moment, but I can give some brief details. Um, it's basically, it, it's an accommodation, an alternative accommodation, very modern kind of treehouse structure, and it's going to go into, um, we, we're looking for 100 sites around South Africa. And um, I've got, we're quite far with our, our plans and, and, and that on the project, but we're at funding stage at the moment. And we're looking for entrepreneurs. We want to create 100 entrepreneurs who run and own those sites. And we want to create a community of them um, where they meet yearly, they get together, we have the best site, the best menu, the best, um, the best opportunities that they offer. And um, that's the exciting part for me is that um, this, is, this is bigger than just me. This is a great kind of opportunity to work on something. And this, this, this opportunity came about um, also due to a fellow EO member I got introduced to and somebody that he brought the project to him. And we've, we've partnered with the four of us to hopefully take this thing to market. Oh, that's quite cool. So you've, you've kind of been part of this organization, you know, where a lot of those things are. So there's like entrepreneurs and you kind of collaborate with each other and you learn from each other. Now you're sort of recreating that in a different a different place correct yeah it's 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 great and um you know another part of my journey is 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 i actually had an export business into sub-saharan africa and we what we used to do is we exported building materials and um i used to spend some great time in, in botswana in the most amazing places in the delta in the pans Bahari Khadi. Um, we used to spend a lot of time in the boteti as well which is quite a nice area of botswana and um, over that period i saw quite a niche to do turnkey lodge supplies so this is where my passion for this this sort of project which i'm involved in now is is i've i used to do turnkey lodge supplies and lodge builds in that area as well so for me it's just it's right up my alley and, and I love it. I love the people. I love the environment. It's just, it's great for me. Yeah. Can, can we loop back a little bit and can you tell us about the, the, the businesses you had, you know, before you did your, your big exit? Um, yeah, so, so it was, when, when I left school, I, I basically, I went to Stellenbosch for a year. And in my first um, VAC, I came home and my dad had taken early time from Barlow's. And we, um, well, I did his accounts for him. And the next December, I came back and finished the accounts that hadn't happened for the six months. And I said, well, next year, I'm coming to work with you in the corner of the lounge and um, I want to study through UNISA. And that's what happened. Myself, my dad started building this business from the corner of the lounge. And that was predominantly building materials into um, Botswana. Um, and we built an unbelievable network of, of customers and um, great, great suppliers that supported us in that territory. It then became quite a nice family business. Um, we had my brother that joined me, my half-brother that joined us. It, it became quite a nice business. And in about 2000, my dad wanted to retire. And at that stage, um, I decided that I wanted to go by myself. It caused a huge family feud. And um, it was probably the best thing I ever did, but it was a tough, tough decision to do. Um, I hit it by myself and I then um, started doing other territories. I started, I took the model which I had in Botswana. And basically, if it was in a builder's warehouse, I tried to tie the agency or distribution ship for Botswana. I then did the same for Zim, a little bit for Mozambique, a bit in Malawi, um, a little bit in Southern DRC. And then I distributed those products by, by road into those territories. Okay. And that's what I did, yeah. So, so can you tell, share a little bit of like insight on what it's like to work cross-border in Africa um, 
running logistics and you know what is the difference in the business culture across the different regions um, operating from SA? I, I think the big thing that that I learned through the years is is partnering with the right people um, and building relationships. Um, the people there. As much as for us South Africans, it's tough to go there. It's tough for them to do business with South Africans. And they love building relationships. It's not just going to visit. It's going on the fishing trips. It's spending time at their houses, spending time with their families, getting to know the people. And that's what I did in those territories. I got to know many, many people. I spent 10 days of a month traveling wow. in those areas. And I loved every minute of it. Um, but it was intense. Eh? And, and in, in retrospect... At the moment, I'm loving spending a lot more time at home, but I, I do also miss some of those trips that I did. Yeah. And I mean, so, so, so you built up this network and you had these, all these different relationships around the, the region. Like how, how big was this operation that you were running and, and what were some of the, the challenges that you faced? Um, Size-wise, I don't know if you see I mean, You guys see those big trucks on the highways. Yes. We sent about 400 of those super links a month into sub-Saharan Africa. Wow. So, yeah, it was quite a sizable operation. Um, we, yeah, it was a, it was a big business thing. And, and I mean, so, so was your role in this big thing, was it just maintaining those relationships and, and keeping an eye on things? <sighs> you know, I'm quite a disciplined person. And, and, and I think the secret to the success of the business was the team that I built around me. Um, I backed my team and built a really strong management team. Um, they helped me because I wasn't there often. I was 10 days away traveling. Mm. They had to run the ship while I wasn't there. And I had a great, great teammate. And I think that was the secret to my success. Eh? And what were some of the things you did to select that team? Um, some of the things that I did to select that team. So the, the, the first guy who joined me after I split the business with the family, um, he, he was a friend that I'd known for many years. And um, he came into the business because he was at a, a place in his life where he wanted to also take the next step. Um, he'd been in the restaurant game for his whole life. Um, and I think in the restaurant industry, there's quite good disciplines that go through. Um, he also was a bit of a bush lover, so loved the traveling. And um, I knew Kevin, knew he would be honest and, and reliable. And Kevin came and joined me in the business in the early stages. Then the next kind of management team person was, um, was Ian. Ian was also an animal lover. I think he worked for Buffett on his cheetah farm outside Joburg for a while and was an absolute bush lover. But he, he came with... He, he military principles, which is quite weird. You know, we, we think military principles are sometimes not good. But in my business, I, I had a lot of deadlines, a lot of things that needed to happen. And it was just nice to have somebody who was really, really strong with um, rules and boundaries and things. Okay. So, so it seems like there's a couple of trends there. It's about like having the right values and you know so honesty and and but then also kind of coming in with that sort of discipline correct our discipline was very important for me you know my guys had to um you had to be able to almost eat off the floor every morning you know if something was out of place it it, it wasn't good i was very strict about those sort of things okay and and now so you sold that business can you talk a little bit about how you how you got there and what the process looked like yeah it it, it was quite an interesting process um so so as we grew um one of the plumbing suppliers that was part part of our our supply chain um they were part of um invicta 
and um, Invicta was looking at bulking up their building supply division and I was their supply chain partner into, into Botswana, Zambia, into Sub-Saharan and at that stage they decided um, let's chat about potentially investing your business and bring it into the, the BSG division of Invicta. And we started some negotiations, very long, laborious negotiations. And um, I must say one thing here. Um, I have, will be ever grateful to my wife, who's a lawyer, because if I had not had her there at the time to save my bacon, I would have not been where I am. Okay. I mean, what, what did she do for you? She, she helped me with the agreements, eh? Um, sure, it was a minefield, eh? The documents we got given, the things that weren't included and were included in those documents, um, it was really, really a difficult negotiation. Eh? So what are some things if, if uh, somebody who's listening is about to go through some kind of a, a, an acquisition, what are the things that you need to make sure are in the contract and what are some of the things you need to make sure are not in the contract? Um, well, first thing I'm going to say is, is if the person buying your business says they've got a lawyer and you can deal with their lawyer, get your own bloody good lawyer. Okay. <laughs> um, it, it'll be the best money you've ever spent okay. is on a lawyer who actually understands these sort of things. Um, another big thing which I'd like to say to anybody here is usually when you do that first deal, you're selling a big percentage of your company. Um, in my situation, I did this deal and sold 60%. But immediately I was in a minority. Um, nobody ever would want to buy that 40% that was left over. And um, you actually need to negotiate the entire deal when you do the first deal. Okay. So, so you want the future purchase of that 40% included in the initial contract? Correct. Um, with the agreed PE, um, with the a put option of your shares at a specific time, and give them, they often want to call option at a specific time as well. So it, I think that, that would be my, my experience was I had to do it like that. And fortunately, it paid off. Okay. And what are some things you want to make sure are not in the contract? Um, warranties, eh? What do you warrant? Um, um, you know, you, they, they very quickly want you to warrant your debtors and your creditors. Um, so when I say warrant debtors, um, we had a, a big book across the border. And by having a book across the border, we had lots of money owing to us. And if... 50% of my book decided not to pay me because I'd done a deal. I wouldn't have received money for doing a deal. So, so, so I've given away a chunk of your, your company yeah, for nothing. Correct. Yeah. So, so, so the strategy which alleviated that for me is, is I actually got credit guarantee in quite close to the time of doing my deal and made sure that I had insurance cover on my book. So if I had to have signed a warranty, which I had to sign, I had insurance cover on my book. Okay. So that was like a method of getting out of a warranty. That's clever. So you, you you kind of get the people who are willing to sign a, a surety on the, the credits to do that, and then you back yourself up by getting an insurance company to cover yourself. Correct. Yes. If they don't. No. Okay. So now, how was the? How long is it? What's the time frame looking like here? From like when you started your company to to when you sold it? Like how many years did you put in? It's eighty nine to three years ago, two and a half years ago. So it's twenty seven years. It's, oh wow! It's a long time, man. Eh? So, so now you spent 27 years of your life building this thing, spending a third of your life traveling, probably the other two thirds working your ass off in the, in the business. What do you, you know, like now you've, you've done the dream, what all the entrepreneurs are supposedly like, you know, chasing, you've sold your business, you've, 
you what 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 comes after all that you know it's there, there was suddenly a big hole um they asked me to be on the board as, as chairman for a period um and it lasted about six months because it, it was as if I was a rubber stamp and a yes man, and that's not not who I am. I'm I'm an entrepreneur who wants to do things and make things happen. So I exited that very quickly. The big thing is there was a big hole, but what it gave me, it gave me a chance to redefine what I wanted to do and where I wanted to be. It gave me a chance to actually control my own diary. And I could have done it before, but I I didn't have the time. I was there from six to six probably every single day. Now. I could do tennis on a Monday and Wednesday morning. I could run on a Tuesday and and go and spin on a Thursday morning. I could make my calendar and then make my life around it. And I think that's the big, big change I've made in the last three years. Okay. And I mean, what are some of the strategies? So did you did you spend some time just sitting on the couch in your underpants um, immediately afterwards, or did you jump right into kind of like filling up your life again? I've never been one to sit in the couch in my underpants. Um, I, I think I'm a bit ADD and very busy, and I, well, I know I am, and I, I just keep my days very busy. Some of the things that I've also done is I've got a lot more involved with the Endangered Wildlife Trust um, in the fundraising side. Um, I spend a bit of time with the, with the fundraising team and on various of their functions. Uh, and this evening I've got an event where I'm emceeing. Tomorrow I'm doing a, a emceeing at the golf day and, and spending the day there. So there's lots of stuff I do for there. And then EO. EO has become, the gift of EO has been unbelievable. I've really enjoyed the journey. And in the last year and a half, um, I've done so much in EO, which has been so rewarding. Um, uh, some of the things which, which have been unbelievable have been um, moderating on a 2IC forum. That's been great. Or key executive forum. Then um, the accelerator program of EO is, is unbelievable. I've um, seed moderated or what, it, what accountability forum. I've been, been one of the moderators there. And that has been really, really great. Um, I've learned so much from these up-and-coming new entrepreneurs. It's been I've changed my accounting system because of listening to them. Um, I've, I've changed the way I do things. It's made me more relevant in the things I'm doing. I'm really loving the EO journey. I've also attended some, some unbelievable EO events. Um, going to RLA recently um, in Kenya. That was also life-changing. Um, learning to do the 10-10-10, which is a very basic thing. Um, I've got my own sort of variants of it where you know, every morning I spend um, 10 minutes just being grateful for, for what I've got and what's happening. I do a bit of, about 10 minutes of reading inspirational stuff and then I spend about 10 minutes setting goals for the day and I do daily goal setting. And it's been unbelievable. It's been a change of the way I do things because I'm, I'm much more target driven and when I finish those things, I relax a little bit and do something else. Okay, so so give us an example of what like a, a, a goal would be for a day. Okay, so today's goals, if I can think of today's goals. Yeah. Um, I had a bit of a challenge with my bankers this morning. Um, they needed some shit sorted out. So I spent... Um, my, my first goal that I set was to um, sort out all the documents the bank needed and get that all in place. Um, my second goal was to... Um, 
prepare my, my talk for this evening, my MC speech for this evening. My third goal was to come here today and um, get my first ever radio interview over with. <laughs> <laughs> and um, my fourth one was to just yeah, hit that event and, and make it good this evening. So those were four basic goals I set for today. And then you, you, once you've delivered on that, you don't do the, the standard entrepreneurial cycle and just move straight on to the next batch of goals. You give yourself a... Yeah, I give myself a break because I think... <laughs> I burned myself out hugely before by just working balls to the wall all the time. Um, I, I am sometimes guilty of spending too much time in my study. I've got a like a man cave above my garage, and I love spending time there just working on stuff and uh, working on new business ideas. My mind is always turning. You know, I'll walk in anywhere and I see something, I'll see an opportunity, and I have to slow myself down sometimes. Okay. I mean, one of the so I did it's similar to the the RLA. I did the GLA at the end of end of last year, which was also amazing. And I think one of my biggest takeaways was that idea of how we don't give ourselves recovery time between meetings. So you'll be in an, an hour, hour long session, then you'll get in your car, then you'll drive and at every robot you'll be like checking messages and sending emails and then you'll hit the next meeting and you'll do another hour. And you just bang that through for like eight, nine hours. You know, maybe you throw a Woolworths sandwich in your mouth in between everything. Um, and you actually, if you look at your mental performance over the day, it actually does start to take a slow, a slow decline. So by that last meeting, you're, you're not fully mentally present. You're not, you know, your brain isn't working as well, well it is, as it is. And I think this, I love this idea you're talking about of give yourself like a little bit of that leeway to be like, it's okay to just sit and reflect and Very think about time. things and take time to have a cup of coffee or something and then move on to the next task. So, so what I'll also do like, like a day like today is, is, I spent, as soon as my family left, or Cindy took um, Hannah to school this morning, I um, got into my study for about two hours, and then I, then I went to a spinning class. So that was 8.30 to 9.30. So I did some work, and then I actually turned my mind off for a bit. And yeah. then I went back and worked again, which I'm finding a great way of doing things. So is this how you're kind of controlling your calendar nowadays? Correct. Where you don't have to be at an office from a certain time to a certain time? Yeah, and, and, and you know, also from EO, I've, I've also learned we have, we've got a great guy um, who, who runs 10X in our forum, and, and um, he had a great session with us about um, setting calendars. And, and I've, I do it now completely. I do it a year in advance. I put my holidays in. I put the time I want to have off. I then put my gym sessions in. I put all the sessions that I want to have, and then I try and fit the other things around that. So for me, that's become very, very important. So you almost plan your whole year out right at the beginning of the year and then take it from there. Correct, yeah. That's so interesting. Um, and, and having now that you're in this world and you're kind of controlling your calendar and you, you're doing all this kind of work, if you could go back, do you think you could have more control over your calendar in your previous life as a business owner? I should have had more control over my calendar. Yeah. Um, I also let my health slip a bit. Um, yeah, I was I was like 138 kilograms when I exited my business, and I I had not looked after myself. Um, there was quite a big scare that happened to me. Is is um, wouldn't happen to me happen to my father. My father's 87 now. Um, he's been my mentor my whole life. Um, um, he had um, stomach cancer and had like 60 percent of his stomach removed about three years ago, and um, he swims a kilometer every morning. Wow! And they said if he if he wasn't healthy in in his exercise and and, and fit, that kind of operation does not normally happen at that sort of age. So that was a bit oh, of a they just write you off. They're like, we're sorry. There's nothing we can do. Correct. Yeah. So. It's so amazing how much how much 
of yourself you can put into your you like put into your business without really thinking about it like how much of your health you can sacrifice and how much of your mind and body and spirit you can kind of throw to the the torch yeah we did we definitely sometimes need to i think take a take a step back and we need to worry about ourselves and i think eo does teach us to do that eo definitely um helps you with that process i wish i'd had eo a lot earlier in my journey um, and i think it would have helped me with a lot of other things earlier um, i don't think the outcome would have been very different but i would have um, been a very different person eh? So, so now, like, I'm assuming you, you had this big business and you've sold it. So I'm sure, like, you know, sort of money or, or wealth creation is no longer your kind of primary, like, driver, if it ever was. So, so what do you, like, how do you choose what you spend your time on now that, that almost that portion of it has been taken care of? You, you know, I, that portion being taken care of is quite a, quite a broad term. Um, you know, I, I recently reassessed in one of my forums, I had a, a discussion about um, what does one actually need to retire? Yes. And it's quite a difficult sum because I don't know where my kids are going to go to university or what they want to do for studying. So maybe they dig a big hole into Dad, the thing. Dad, I want to go which, to Harvard. <laughs> so, 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 so maybe I think I've made provision and suddenly there's a big hole in that. Yeah. So it's, it's quite a difficult one, you know. And, you know, we also did a calculation that I think at 5% inflation, um, if, if I need 100 grand now a month, at the age of 100, I need um, 1.4 million rand every month. Wow. So, so there's a lot to consider, and 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 yeah, I did well, but I still need to work a bit to make sure I pay for my kids' studies and yeah. look after those sort of things. So, so what are you? How are you choosing your work? How, how are you selecting the projects that you spend your time on? There must be purpose. It must. There must be meaning to it. Um, I don't want to spend time on things which I don't have a passion for. Um, I was talking to my son the other day and I said to him, what are the two things you've learned from me in the last year? And um, the one thing he said to me was, I've learned, um, there's a book with an orange cover, um, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a F. Um, yeah. and, and he said to me, yeah, don't, I, you don't sweat the small stuff. And he said, the other thing, I, I love your passion. You're so passionate about everything you do, and I want to be passionate about the things I do. So those are the those are the two things for me: is is being passionate about what I do. Um, I'm not going to do things I don't enjoy doing. I like that. So how do you? I mean, so, so let's talk about purpose for a little bit. Like, how do you? How do you? align purpose and 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 business uh, you know so it's quite like it's quite easy to see in in volunteering for something like eo and investing your time there that's that's quite an obvious one same thing with the endangered wildlife trust but if you're going to go and start another build business or build another thing how do you use purpose to kind of filter th those businesses and, and and how does it affect the decision making going in or, or building so so let me let me think of an example there's no way i want to go and build a hotel business where i own a hundred hotels and um, i rent rooms to people that's not where i want i would like to build a tourism business where the community has a vested interest in those 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 different units and they can make the difference to themselves and that's for me is is a purpose-driven business so you, you're willing to almost give up the equity, like portions of the equity and portions of the control in order to include a, a wider group of individuals? Totally. It's so important. And, 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 and if that person has the same purpose and passion, then 
things just happen. Mm. And, and I think that's what we need to see out there is that it's not all about owning everything yourself. Rather be a small part of a big thing than a big part of nothing. I love that idea. I also think there's, there's such a powerful thought in the idea that, that you, Anthony, are one person. You know, and you might have built a management team in your last company, but you still had to pull so much that you put your, your kind of body on the line for the business. And this is another way of thinking about it, saying instead of having one person pulling 100 things, you can have 100 people all pulling in the same, pulling direction, in the same direction. And then your job becomes more of a, a coach or a mentor or a, you know, someone who's kind of setting the, the, the direction and inspiring people as opposed to being the one doing all the pulling. Yeah, that makes, that's exactly right. Eh? And do you think there's, there's a, a case for, for, you know, do you think those businesses can still be profitable and can still be financially kind of, you know, like wealth generators for you? I definitely believe that, that there's still opportunities, but it's not the purpose of the business. Yes. I think it, it could be an unintended consequence of the business. And I do believe it will be an unintended consequence. It'll happen, eh? Because the, 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 we're doing it for the right reasons. And do you think the consumers of these things would, would like actually see this as a, a sort of differentiator and, and select the, the product? Um, you know, I think that the world is getting to a stage where we all need to think before we do. And we need to think before we do everything. We need to think before we buy that soap. Is it, does it have palm oil in it? Yeah. We need to think before we buy that plastic bottle. Do we need the plastic bottle or can we buy the one that's recyclable that we use 50 times and refill it? We need to start thinking before we do everything if we actually want to leave this planet in a, in a state for our, for our kids. That's so cool. I think it's, it's such an interesting how, how you've kind of changed your, your view uh, and, you know, in what, on one hand, you're like, I still need to think about how to pay for my kids' ed- education. But I think there's also the concept in there that you need need them to actually have something to be educated on. <laughs> you know, so if that doesn't work, then it's not really going to 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 happen. Yeah. And now how do you, how do you, you know, what were the, uh, like speaking for myself, like being a business owner and being the the kind of the CEO of the company and all these things are kind of inextricably linked with my, the identity that I believe I kind of transmit into the world. What was it like kind of cutting that portion of your personality or of your identity away and giving it to somebody else and stepping away from it? What was that like? Um, that, that was quite interesting. Um, and, and what I did, I, I, I had to, I was asked to please identify someone and create my replacement. Well, I wasn't really asked. I created my replacement so that I could be replaced. Um, identified a very entrepreneurial young guy um, by the name of Brendan. And um, he actually had his own sort of export business into Mozambique and he'd finished studying and had a couple of interviews with him. And he came into the business and he mirrored me for a while and spent a lot of time with me. And um, he basically was able to run it. And, and what was so nice is when I left, I left the business in a state that it could carry on running. Mm. Um, and I think that's, that's what we all need to strive as, as entrepreneurs is, is if we're not if we're not putting that replacement in place. And I should have probably done it a lot earlier because I could have probably freed myself up to do other things. And that's one of the things I... Taking uh, back control of your yeah, calendar sooner. Yeah, I could have probably taken back of my control of my calendar. But I have no regrets about, about, about 
exiting. And it, I think it was the best thing I did. I think that's such an interesting um, thought where, you know, I think a lot of people picture themselves in the exit, but, you know, my business is made up of there's 15 people in there that are all working every every day. And if somebody were to acquire nice work, you know, those people are almost going with. And I've spent, you know, a couple of years of my life with some of the people in that in that room. And I think setting the business up for success post your exit is is you know, I think both good for, for the business, but it's also good for all the people that kind of helped you build that thing to to where it is. Yeah, it's very important. And that, that team that you build around you, you, you want to leave them in a in a state that they, they're happy when when you leave. Um I, I've 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 got another interesting story here where where uh one of my first employees, Cosmos, was a was a f- eventually ended up the forklift driver and he was in charge of the forklift drivers for many years and um over the years, being one of the first guys, whenever we need someone, they came from him and he like had the referrals. So I'd say 50% of my warehouse staff probably came via Cosmos. So he was like and your HR, your independent HR independent, department. Yeah, and, and he was just such a great guy. And unfortunately, he had a heart attack and he passed away. And I, I never, ever went to any of my employees' funerals, but it was the funeral I really wanted to go to. And I, I went to Newcastle to the funeral and I was the only... Um, non-local person at that funeral and i don't think i've ever cried so much in my life it was the most touching touching service but a lot of the people there i knew because they'd been working for me and yes some of them had been fired along the line but it was just great that we'd built up we'd almost supported that community in newcastle out of our business and and that was almost creating a sustainable looking after those marginalized communities it was just so great to see eh? Is this tied a little bit to what you're mentioning up front about like your your take on how to fix the the um, kind of the nature by supporting those communities? Do you think business has a huge role to play in in creating and sharing the wealth in in that place? Yeah, I, I think I think they do have a huge role to play in identifying the people and the communities and. I think it's important in South Africa for the money to go back to those communities. Mm. That's where the money is needed. Because if we have socioeconomic issues around those parks, they're going to use the parks to try and poach, to try and take rhino horns, and, and we don't want that. We need money from the cities going back to those areas for them to spend there so that they don't need to use the, the parks as a source of income for those sort of things. I think is it also not an element of... of sharing the ownership and sharing pride in it because the the old business models is somebody from the outside comes in takes that piece of land builds things maybe employs people to clean or or you know be a security guard or whatever but the majority of the money flies in is spent and and leaves to a johannesburg or or international based account as quickly as it's it sort of arrived so so the value creation isn't localized it's it's elsewhere. So then it's seen as an other and not a, a mine. So, 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 so exactly that's our new project that I'm working on is, is we're going to be putting these structures in those marginalized areas. Yeah. So um, the, the, the only rule is it has to be a view site. So if it's got a view, it'll be good enough for us. And that's, that's our, big, our big item. And how do you deal with, because obviously, you know, it's not just the marginalization of the community. There's, there's a, a, you know, like a skill you know, there'll be a skills gap, there'll be, you know, if you're selling somebody luxury, 
Um, you can't expect somebody who's never even you know stayed in a hotel to deliver an international five star experience. How do you how do you see yourself also addressing that? Not just the financial gap, but the the skill and, and understanding so, gap. So we have identified someone who we potentially will bring in as the kind of MD in this operation, and um, there's a huge training part to it. And he'll be training those people to make sure they they are proficient and understand what it has to be. And there'll be obviously there'll be checks on the different sites and that as well. That's amazing, well, Anthony. Thank you very much. I think you know. I suppose let's let's close this thing out. And I'd love to just take your here your take on like where do you think South Africa is going and where what what role do you see uh, Anthony Wanell playing in that? Um, I'm a very, very positive South African. I never, ever want to leave South Africa. I'd like to spend the rest of my life here. I think there's so many entrepreneurial opportunities here in South Africa. And um, I think we must all take them with open hands. And I want to see South Africa as a success. And I want to be here. I want to retire here. I want to die here. This is the place where I want to spend the rest of my life. And how do you see South Africa, having worked in all the other regions around here, how do you see South Africa compared to those other markets? Um, South Africa is the most beautiful of them all. We have such diversity, such, it, it, it's got, the mo- it's the most unbelievable country. And all of them are beautiful. Zim is beautiful, Botswana is, is fantastic, Zambia is great. They're all beautiful places. Um, South Africa is the best of them all. That's such a, such a good thing to hear. Well, Anthony, thank you so much. It's it's always lovely to meet someone who's kind of performed on the level you have and been seen the success that you have, but uh, still so sort of humble in your approach as as a person. So it's quite quite good to see. I've I've got a, a good note here to um, take back control of my calendar and to plan my year in advance. I mean, I know I'm like halfway through this year, but I'm going to try and at least wrestle some of that control back. So. It'll be an interesting challenge to anyone who's listening to hear if you've managed to actually take control of your calendar or kind of forecast anything. So you've been listening to Radio, um, a podcast by the Entrepreneurs Organization in South Africa. Um, Thank you so much to Anthony, our guest. Thanks, Ross. And a quick shout out to the sponsors of EO South Africa, to Labanet and Bidvest Car Rental. You guys are amazing. And you are one of the reasons that South Africa is as lovely as Anthony says it is. Um, We would ask anyone who's listening to this podcast to share it with someone who you think would get value out of it. Um, and if you if you haven't already, we would appreciate a, a, a review on any one of the podcast platforms that you are listening to so somebody else can, can find it. So thank you very much. And if you need more information about, if you are an entrepreneur and you want to find out more, go to the eonetwork.org, eonetwork.org. Thank you very much. And we'll catch you guys again in two weeks. Thanks, Ant. Thanks, Ross.